Hey guys, welcome back. Hi. Back. Um, <laughs> the whole gang's back now. Yeah. Um, do you guys want to take the lead? Yeah, Bridget, this was kind of your topic idea. So why don't you introduce the topic and then we can chat about it. So today we're going to be talking about like limitations and when to push things in your dog's training versus when to start to manage it. Um, particularly, this topic came about when we're seeing, as I was seeing with my clients, people said, oh, I can never do this. I can never do A, B, or C, um, which coming from an outside point of view, I'm like, we could definitely work on that. Or they bring something else up and they'd be like, let's not push that topic. Um, so we're here to talk a little bit about that today. Kind of the balance of it. <clears throat> I've seen a lot of the limitations even come from people that have maybe worked with trainers previously. Yeah. And they've said that like, oh, the mm -hmm. trainer said the dog just would never be able to do this. Mm -hmm. Or maybe, like you said, you had that dog that came from a rescue that mm -hmm. was like, it can only wear a harness. Mm -hmm. It can never do this. It can never be around dogs. It can, you know, stuff like that. Um, so I think it's, <clears throat> I think there are certainly real limitations that certain yeah. dogs may have that you know you may never actually see a ton of change or progress in um but there's i'd say more so kind of self-imposed limitations that we put on our dogs <clears throat> and i think the intention behind it varies i think some people have good intention in doing it because they maybe feel bad for the dog or they don't want to see the dog stressed mm -hmm. or whatever it might be if that's kind of a requirement to work through whatever the problem is. I also think sometimes it becomes a very convenient excuse yeah. so that you don't have to like put in time and energy to work with your dog. Um, do hard things with your dog because people yeah. want the results but sometimes they have a difficult time putting in the work to get those results or yep. achieve those results, mm -hmm. which can be pretty difficult for some people. Yep. And I feel like it kind of like snowballs those effects too sometimes where it, it could be as simple as like, well, you know, I'll never be able to whatever, take my dog somewhere or whatever and go on a walk where there's mm -hmm. kids or dogs and stuff. Yeah. Mm -hmm. And so you stop doing it or whatever. And, and, and then you just create more of the issues, the behavior issues of that aggression towards or that fear aggression, whatever reactivity towards those things, mm -hmm. because it's, you just already have it in your head that you're not going to do it. Mm -hmm. And so it clearly isn't helping the dog at all. Mm -hmm. So you'll never actually get a chance to work through it. You know, I think, yeah, like one of the most common ones that I think we can all agree on that we see is I can never do my dog's nails without them being heavily medicated or sedated. And that's mm -hmm. one I hear all the time. Like the vet told me I could never do the nails and we've all heard that <laughs> and within the hour session or follow up or yeah. send home, we're able to complete the nail trim because it's not about setting the limitations be like, oh, they can't do that. Mm -hmm. It's like yeah. we need to persist and find a way that we can successfully do this nail trim yep. so we can take back a little bit of the balance in our dog relationship, human to dog. Oh, yeah. And the good thing about the nail trims is like, I think, again, even that, you know, it has so – you can – help the dog in so many more ways than just the nail trim if you work mm -hmm. through nail trims. You yeah. know, you can work on the whole touching so they're better at the vets. You know, you can work on their confidence with just being around those noises and stuff like that, the t like the Dremel even grinding on their nails. So I think there's, there's certain things that you 
again, are taking away from the dog to be able to do by just not doing one thing, you know? Mm-hmm. Yeah, you're like, this is humanizing it a bit, but you're almost like infantilizing them. Yeah. Where yeah. it's like, you you couldn't possibly get over yeah. this uh-huh. or like be able to handle this. Yeah. Yeah, where it's like, no, I mean, I've had, actually just today, I have a session with clients that um, their dog has to be fully sedated for nail trims. Mm-hmm. And they, <laughs> they told me that at their last session for the dog had really extensive reactivity so that was kind of like our full focus and then it was like once we got that to a really really good spot we were talking at the last session and they were like oh yeah and she has to be like fully sedated for nail trips and i don't remember how it came up but they just kind of like nonchalantly said it and i was like well that's a problem (laughs) we gotta work on that now Uh um so we set up another session for them to come in to get that figured out um and they're like, they're like, I don't know, like it's really bad, you know, all this stuff. And I was like, I've never not been able to do a dog's nail. Mm-hmm. Yeah, like never. Might take a few sessions. Exactly. Yeah, I'm not know, saying I'll, I'll accomplish it and get it perfect in one hour today, but like we will get it done. Yeah. I'm, I'm doing that right now with the dog as well. Yeah. Just it's been struggling with its nails and. Um, so it's, I just set up a few more mm-hmm. follow-ups and that's just, that's what all we're doing the whole time. Yeah. It's like a non, like to me, that is, that, that should, that's never a limitation. Yeah. It's, it's a process, like things that you encounter with your dog may become a process where you have to do it several times, but putting in the work to be part of that process, he ends in like really good results with being able to handle your dog and being able to have more of that mm-hmm. relationship that they're looking at you and they're like, I have to. I feel like it gives the owners a lot of confidence as well in that yeah. point. Whereas mm-hmm. when when they overcome the thing that they never thought they were going to be able to do, yeah. it's huge not only for the dog, but also for the owner. You they, know? They're so like, wait, my vet was wrong? Right. <laughs> right. Like, yeah, your vet can sometimes be wrong, which is... Uh-huh. You know, why I, I often tell people, like, go vet shopping, mm-hmm. find somebody that's able to listen to you and come up with a couple different solutions rather than Medicaid. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I just actually started <clears throat> sessions with a client. The dog was extremely fearful and anxious, and the vet actually, I was super pleased, um, which it was Tremont, so I'm not yeah. surprised, but they, they medicated the dog initially, but the vet was like, this is not a long-term fix. I do not want this dog on the medication long-term. Go here to get training, and then we can wean off the medication. Um, and I thought that was awesome. Like, that's how, you know, every vet, I feel like should handle that. Like, yes, we can do medication in the meantime, you know, to help the dog cope a little bit better. But like, this is, this should not be like a long, long-term fix yeah. at all. And the dog has done phenomenally well. Yeah. Like so, yeah. so well. Um, so yeah, I think that there's like, I, th- I think there's certainly kind of what I touched on earlier, like there are some th- certain things that probably are, could be limitations. Like mm-hmm. my own dog, Lumos is never going to like be a friendly, affectionate dog with strangers. Mm-hmm. Yeah. That is a true limitation. Like yeah. that's just a part of the dog <clears throat> that I, I can never change. But there is certainly ways that I could improve mm-hmm. upon just his ability to, to be around people and kind of like increase that threshold. Like he can be around people, he can go in public, he can tolerate close proximity, he can even tolerate people touching him, he can tolerate dogs running up to him. Um, but when it ultimately comes down to it, like I don't let people pet him, mm-hmm. you know, I don't let him meet strange dogs. 
because that is kind of a hard limitation for him in that way. Yeah. Right. Like I just had a client recently to go off your your point of when not to push limitations is this dog has been pretty acted pretty viciously around the teenage boys that come into the house. So we did an in-home recently and I had the dog on a bed stay and a couple of the teenage boys came into the house and the dad was like, well, can they go all pet him? And I was like, let's not yeah. push his buttons there because <laughs> yeah. he's already on a place and I don't want him to feel trapped or forcing him to be pet. Mm-hmm. And I just kind of explained that to them. Like, I don't want to force a dog to be tolerant of pets when they're extremely uncomfortable because sure. that, at that point, that's not fair to me. Yes, the dog can stay in the bed, stay while the teenage boys are playing video games and getting up and yelling and watching sports, mm-hmm. but I'm not interested in pushing the dog in a way that's going to be negative for both children and mm-hmm. the dog. Yeah. I wonder, what do you guys think? I've been thinking about this since we decided on this topic. How do you think you know what is a limitation that can't be overcome and what is a limitation that is a true limitation? Like, how do you think you can distinguish that? Um, That's a really good point. That is a good point. I mean, I I would, I don't know if this is necessarily the best answer, but with just trial and error, you know, you, like, you're not going to know with, with Lumos and stuff, with Mm -hmm. him, you know, like, you know, it's not, because it's like, over time, you've done the training, you've realized, okay, this just isn't the best situation, right? Yeah. And you were like, okay, fine. You know, I'm sure you've tried multiple times. I'm sure it just wasn't one time you tried socially socializing with dogs or sure. people or whatever, and he blew up or whatever, and you were like, oh, okay, well, we're done. You know, I'm sure yeah. there were multiple times where it was like, okay, you know what? This, this works for him, for me, for them. So cool, right? Mm-hmm. There's no need to push it. So I don't know if that's like the best answer, but trying to kind of figure out what works for you as well as the dog. You know, I think that people do, if they think about it, you know, they do have a fairly good understanding for, you know, how their dog reacts, the signs of when their dogs, you know, learning their specific dog's body language. You know, I feel like Mm -hmm. we're generally pretty good about reading like majority of dogs, but I feel like owners just have that like relationship with their dog where they, they can they tell when they're nervous and everything. Yeah. So it's just something I think that's just like, if you were to focus on just like, how does this situation actually affect this dog? You know, yeah. and, and, and does my communication and does the training really help mm-hmm. or is it more kind of like making it worse? Is it kind of neutral? Right. And then just kind of piecing stuff from there. Mm-hmm. But I mean, I, I don't know. I'd like to be interested to in see what you say as well. I would say, like, I'm always a little bit analytical and I'm weighing pros and cons and risk and benefit. Like, does this benefit my dog? So, will a bunch of teenage boys coming over my dog and petting it, does this benefit him? And my answer is no, because in that specific okay. situation when I'm present in the training session, the dog might do fine. But one time the dog may be uncomfortable with one how it's being touched or how it's being handled and may snap and then that's a bigger risk to me of somebody getting hurt than it is a benefit to the dog mm-hmm. so for nail trims the benefit is being able to safely do the dog's nails and then be compliant you know mm-hmm. and 
not have the skeletal problems or the joint problems that long nails can cause. So mm -hmm. that's a clear benefit to me. And not having the stress on their heart and their organs from being sedated every single yeah, time. Yeah, exactly. They have to have it done. For me, it's very clear, like, does this benefit my dog with non-human emotions behind it? Like, sure. Do I want my dog to say hi to everybody uh, and be that friendly dog? Is that in their nature? And if it is and they like that, sure, go say hi to people that I have selected in our house. Yeah. And maybe like how... Allowing. Yes, that yeah. I'm allowing. Yeah, and maybe like how easily avoidable some certain things are. Yeah. You know what I mean? Like if it's a situation where it's like your dog does not like children, mm -hmm. that's pretty easy to keep your dog away from kids. Yeah. That's not necessarily a boundary you have to push. Right. You know? Especially when the risk is so high. Yeah. When you could just like put your dog away. Yeah. You know? Or when you're out in public, just make sure that you're very aware. Don't go places with kid playgrounds. Don't go, you know, mm -hmm. stuff like that. Um, <clears throat> with like, and kind of, I think this kind of, now that I heard both of your guys' answers and kind of what I was thinking too is like, obviously like we have, say we have a dog who's aggressive, we'll just use the most extreme case, mm -hmm. right? This dog has active live bites on like people or whatever. And the owners, you know, always are asking at that first or second session, like, will my dog ever be able to be around people or yeah. like people or whatever? And really my answer is like, we won't know until we know, right. until we really get to that point. Mm -hmm. And so it's like, we have our plan and our process of how we train, our safety protocols we put in place, how once we get to that point, how we would go about introducing them to new people, things like that. And so it's almost like we have our structured plan and then we let the dog kind of like guide Where's the end? Where's yeah. our ceiling? You're living <laughs> of like training and you're applying the things yeah. that you hope, hopefully like sought out a trainer for and you come up with a plan. Yeah. Put the dog in situations leading up to that that are pretty safe and controlled. Mm -hmm. And then you can go from there. Like the, the shepherd you recently had mm -hmm. where the woman was like, I want it to be like my other dog. Yeah. And you're like, Unfortunately, I don't think that's yeah. going to you know, <laughs> yeah. be realistic. And yeah. I think that was a really good example. I think that's really hard for some that. people. To, it is. You know, but, or especially some, you know, that they've had a specific breed their whole life. And then they mm -hmm. finally get one that's just yeah, not so whatever, you know. Yeah. And they're like, well, you know, like I've had all these dogs in the past that were so good at being with kids or, or yeah. mm -hmm. playing fetch or with other dogs, I don't know, whatever, you know, yeah. and and now it's like this, and it's just like, well, those are dogs, you know, no, no dog's exactly the same, like, no person's exactly the same, so it's just something where it's like, okay, well, let's manage it, what do we need to actually focus on? Yeah, to, like, mourn the loss of the dog that you thought you were going to get sometimes, and say goodbye to that picture in your head, and be like, all right, how do I adjust with this new dog, and how... Because it's a living creature and we can't always mold it into what we want. Mm -hmm. So yeah. we have to find out how we live with these dogs and have it be successful if we're committed to keeping them. Yeah. It's almost like you kind of have to let the dog decide like what their limitations are. Yeah. Yeah. To a certain extent. Yeah. Like, I think that only works if you're doing everything you can and everything correctly in your training process. Mm -hmm. Like... The reason why Lumos is still at a point where his hard line is don't let people pet me is because 
we've hit that multiple times and he's never ever once been like, oh, I actually do want that person to pet me. Mm -hmm. His body language has never told me, yeah. oh, please let me go say hi to that person. Yeah. He has zero interest in meeting new people. Yeah. And the times where like we've done the whole like, and again, with safe precautions, muzzled, things like that, where we've done our technique of like, inviting the dog over to meet the person and not being approached, you know? He goes over and he stands there like this the whole time. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. And if anything, he looks at him like, it's like I'm doing this because mom is making me do it. Yeah, <laughs> even, even though they like invited him. For asking me, yeah. Because he's not a nervous, aggressive dog, he's just a dick. Yeah. He'll go over, <laughs> confident as ever, and then it's like once he gets there and they're petting him, he's like, who the fuck are you yeah. touching yeah. right now? You know what I mean? It's really uncomfortable. Clearly. Yeah. So it's like once that's happened so many times, it's yeah. like obviously that's the boundary for him. He's you know? Necessary. He's like, yeah. it's not necessary. It's very easy for me to say, don't touch my dog, mm -hmm. you know? And he comes around, you know, he loves you guys now and stuff mm -hmm. like that. Like he gets there on his own time. But that is something for me that it's like, I, you know, very clearly that's his line. Mm -hmm. <laughs> he doesn't want to do that. Um, do you guys believe that in training, like obedience related things, off leash, stuff like that, do you think there's ever cases where you have to draw like a limitation and be like training wise with obedience and stuff like that. There's maybe certain situations your dog can't be in or can't do well in distractions. Like, do you think that's real? I, I personally, <clears throat> in most cases, no. I think people can have a well-trained dog but they have to put the consistency into the training and you have to meet the client where they're at. And if they're not a super consistent person and they can kind of admit that and they're like, no, I don't really care about off leash. I'm like, okay, we don't have to do off leash. Mm -hmm. But if they're like, I want off leash, how do we get to that point? We can help you get to that point, certainly, but it will be work at home. Mm -hmm. It will be continued efforts of working through things, working through distractions if your dog is struggling around crowds of people um, and you can take them into a crowd successfully and have them like do it down and observe the things, I definitely think people get into this crowd being like, oh, they're too stubborn to do that. Oh, they're, they're mm -hmm. too scared to do that. And you're putting these humanized feelings on your dog when you could really work through a lot of that. Mm -hmm. So it's really up to what the client wants or what the client is looking for um, in helping them achieve that. In my personal opinion. And I yeah. think a lot of times, too, it's, it's the owners that feel that way, too. Mm -hmm. You know, they, they're nervous for their dog to be nervous or they're, <laughs> you know, they're scared for their dog to be scared yeah. or something. So it's something where it's like, and that's one thing I always like talk, tell like owners and stuff is that, you know, your confidence in this training and your dog and stuff is just as important as their confidence in understanding the commands, you know. Mm -hmm. Now, I think that there's... I would, I would agree in the sense that the majority of things you can at least like bring them to situations, mm -hmm. right? And, and walk them around relatively small crowds and stuff. But I do think there are a few situations where it's, it can be much, especially like off-leash stuff mm -hmm. where, you know, you, you just might have to be a lot more, you know, focus on the dog and manage that, that dog a lot more than you would say for other dogs, you know, where, mm -hmm. where you can kind of, be out and about at a park or something and kind of focus on something while the dog is laying in a down and whatever and still be aware but not like 
strictly aware of like where every person and dog and yeah. stuff is. Um, I think there are certain certain situations definitely where like you know there are there are certain dogs that I've worked with that you know they they try all the time that the mm-hmm. owner wakes up at five in the morning to run the dog and it's just yeah. just to avoid the people and all that stuff and they they've come a long way but they've also kind of with Lumos like have like they've kind of like hit this wall in the sense of just like they can be around people now and be around dogs and all mm-hmm. that but it's but it's not like I don't think she necessarily is, can get to that point with the Roddy that sure it's going to be off the you know? yeah <laughs> yeah and that's a good case like I think there are case-by-case basis well and it might just be like a just because maybe you could doesn't mean you should yeah right. I think that's like a good thing to think yeah. about too like you know could I take Lumos to like a kid's playground and make him hold a sit while kids run around him? Mm-hmm. Yes, but should I do that? <laughs> probably not. Yes. Like that's probably not a great idea. Mm-hmm. Those kids are bound to do something and then he's bound to be Lumos and it's like, oh. yeah. Or like a, a limitation that I know I could probably work on mm-hmm. and just don't is people coming in my house with him. Mm-hmm. I just put him in a kennel. Yeah. Is that could, what you want? Exactly. Like, could I work on that? Could he hold a bed stay the whole time that they're there? Yes. But I don't want to. Yeah. Go into the kitchen and exactly. take a drink, and the person's like, hi, Luna. Exactly. Yeah, so it's like, could I do those things? Yes. But I don't really want to. And that's okay, too. Yeah. You know, like you said, you have yeah. clients that are like, I never want to do off leash. That makes me so uncomfortable and nervous. Yeah. Okay. We're not going to like step in and be like, no. That's fine. Do off leash. Because those are the people that would have problems off leash. Sure. Because they're not comfortable. They're not committed. I've had people where they're like, at the beginning, they're like, we never want to do off leash. And I tell them, I'm like, that's totally fine. Mm-hmm. By the time we get to the end, you might change your mind. Because the dog you're going to have at the end of this is very different from the dog that you have, you have now. Yeah. So you might feel more comfortable. So Again, if that changes. Those limitations on, where it's just like, yeah. I don't want to do off-leash. I don't want to worry about off-leash because it's not even a possibility we can get to. And, it's yeah. just, and that's a good way. That's a that's a good point to make where it's just like, well, it could change, you know, later. And if it does, then. Mm-hmm. But if it doesn't, that's fine too. Yeah. Like, you know, going through the training process, you start to begin to see different side of your dog, which people... It, it's a true growth like from the first session they're like yeah this is my list of cans with my dog and then slowly by the end of the session we have a lot of cans and we don't have a lot of cans mm-hmm. so the dog is actively grown and people are like oh this is really working my relationship with my dog is improving vastly and I have a lot of this control over them and then that can shift their mindset of like oh maybe I can have off leash mm-hmm. if they wanted to like, yeah. like Oakley's parents, for instance, we were having that discussion and they're a little bit older, um, of a couple mm-hmm. and she's like, I don't think I ever want an off-leash. And I said, totally fine. Mm-hmm. That is your choice at your comfort level. If we don't ever want to have an off-leash, then that's totally up to her. Mm-hmm. And, but also in turn, like if you're going to, if you're going to decide that that's something you don't want. So for instance, me, like I don't have any desire to work on those with strangers yeah. coming to my house. Then I can't one day be like, let me just open the door and see what happens. Yeah, let's see. <laughs> let's 
start to work on it. Yeah, consistently you know? because we can't yeah. change the consistency even though he's very well behaved and he's mm-hmm. very, very well trained and you've trained him very thoroughly. We can't just change, flip the script and expect him to be perfect right away. Exactly, yeah. Um, yeah, so I mean, I think that kind of like what you were saying, Seamus, is like it's kind of like a balance of like assessing like the whole situation as a whole of like I you know there might be limitations to what owners or dogs can do maybe not because it is impossible to get to that point but just because maybe the owner doesn't have the handling skills that would be necessary maybe the dog um, and maybe sometimes it's a time thing Mm -hmm. like you could have like for me I think off leash, I think, is probably like the top the top tier of like obedience, mm-hmm. right? Yeah. Being able to have off leash, and uh, for me, the scariest dogs <laughs> when you're transitioning to off leash that off leash that worry would worry me the most are like the fearful, flighty ones. Yes, mm-hmm. yeah. even aggressive dogs don't really concern me as much mm-hmm. because it's it's more so like when a dog is fearful they do weird shit yeah they do really weird stuff yeah logically their instinct is to flight and that is so powerful that if you don't take your time training it yeah they're gone exactly and so like those are the dogs where i'm like we are not rushing this Mm -hmm. (laughs) there is no need to rush this because the last thing we need is your dog to just ping Mm -hmm. and those are the dogs that you would you think that they would run to the owner as like their safe place, but they don't. No. They just take they off. <laughs> they never do. They're just gone. Mm-hmm. So those are usually the ones that like tend to make me the most nervous. Mm-hmm. Yeah. So for those people, it's less of like a limitation and more of like a right now it's a limitation. Mm-hmm. <laughs> Let's continue working, you yeah. know, and get to where the dog's confidence is a lot better. When we're on leash, we're not seeing them hear a loud noise and mm-hmm. bolt, you know, we're fixing like all of those things along the way and making sure that we're not trying to rush, mm-hmm. you know, into something in that way. Yeah. Yeah, I, 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 I think that it, it, as well as, you know, but that's just kind of getting out of winter and everything that even that has like some set limitations, time limitations to it as well with like, you can't train your dog all winter or whatever, or before to fall or something. And during the winter, you're like working on stuff in the house and then come spring and summer, you're like, all right, let's do off leash. You so you've done so well in the house yeah. all winter. Now let's go and try to do it. It's like, well, you might need to just make sure that you're, the pieces are together, like you were saying. You know, you're you're doing all the little stuff, and then we can kind of work to that point. Like you know? My time and Sunday is off leash completely, and I wasn't in accounting to bunny season right now. And bunny <laughs> took off, and Sunday went right for it, and obviously got a very firm correction. And she scooted her butt right around. <laughs> and last night we're out again, and we saw a bunny, and she started to go for it, and she's like. Never mind. <laughs> Without any correction needed in that scenario because she didn't break the heel position. Yeah. So we're looking for opportunities that the dog is rehearsing a bad behavior and we're able to give them that firm correction. 
and we're able to get their attention back on us. That's where I start to see, yeah. like, okay, success is coming. The limitations yep. are lifting. Well, and that could be, I mean, that's a good topic, too, is, like, I think that maybe with, this could be an unpopular thing, but, like, with certain breeds uh, comes along certain limitations, I think, too, or challenges. Yep. So, like, if you have a, a beagle, like, someday, or you have a very high prey drive dog, your challenges for off-leash are just immensely more than a golden retriever, yeah. your average, you know, mm -hmm. or dogs like that. Um, because I don't think there'll ever be a time where you would 100% trust that Sunday's not going to take off after an animal. Yeah. If she saw it. Yeah. You know what I mean? Not that she would do it every single time, mm -hmm. but there's always going to be that thought in your head, mm -hmm. like, with that, where you're like, oh, she absolutely could. Yeah. You know? Yeah. We've... Since, like, walking near any roads or anything, I used to do it completely off-leash, and I'm like, the risk of her darting out before I can address yeah. it is mm -hmm. so high that I'm just going to slip her when we're back in our neighborhood and yeah. walking the street, because that's what I feel like I like to do for her safety. Oh, for sure. I even do that with Sully when we leave here, you know? It's like, I yeah. could be off-leash, but it's like... Yeah, it's the risk is... Yeah. You have to weigh, like, the risk versus the reward at yeah. that point, mm -hmm. and it's just too high mm -hmm. um or even like there's some breeds that like don't do well with being around m the same sex of mm -hmm. other dogs yeah. or and that's i mean that's there's always exceptions but that's a pretty consistent thing yeah. <laughs> with some dogs there's like lumos does way better with female dogs mm -hmm. than he ever so would with male that. dogs you know what I mean? Like, there's that's just stuff that is like, okay, not again, that doesn't mean that he can't be around male dogs, but it has to be more heavily managed <laughs> at that point. Um, so stuff like that, I think. And, you know, even with my, my own dog, Cash, I think another example of, like, a limitation is he will 100% of the time always want to grab food if it is available. Yeah. You know what I mean? Like, if it is available to him and he's not supervised he's gonna do it yeah <laughs> like, I have experience with that yeah so. yeah and it's like no matter how much I corrected yes. him no matter how consistently he was corrected for it no matter how it doesn't matter he will take a correction and as he's being corrected yeah. still eat whatever it is that he was going to eat yeah so it's like for him his the way the what the way that I've had to do it is like obviously putting everything away nothing's on the counter anymore and just managing him better to where he's not just wandering around in the kitchen <laughs> up to no good all the time. He wants to get yeah. Yeah. If I leave food on my coffee table and I have to get up, I literally just say come and he comes with me yeah. while I go do whatever I'm doing and then yeah. we go back in. Mm -hmm. Because it's like I I know that's an issue. Yeah. And again, I, I there's just certain things for certain dogs, they're opportunists. Yeah. <laughs> when they have the opportunity, they're gonna take it, man. Exactly. Like Sunday, for instance, like I bring her up a lot, but poop eating is a huge mm -hmm. one for her. And I've corrected Sunday for poop eating on a very firm level a thousand million times. Mm -hmm. And I have to yeah. be neurotic about it in my yard. And sometimes I'm like, I don't want to have to be neurotic about this today. So you're wearing a muzzle out in the yard. Mm -hmm. so, oh yeah. No, there's just certain manage. things. Yeah, there's certain things that it's like. Yeah, there are going to be certain limitations for some dogs where no matter what you do. Yeah. And that's okay. I think yeah, a lot yes. of people get like freaked out about it or really sad about it. Yeah. It's like 
it's it's okay to have like almost every dog has some sort of limitation. Mm -hmm. oh, yeah, so it's for like sure. you know. So I, I, I think a lot of people beat themselves up about it and again are a bit like insecure about well like you know my dog I would never be able to do that or you mm -hmm. know and it's just like that's not necessarily true you know I'm sure that's happened to mm -hmm. like all like both of you with like you're having your dogs out here on public they're holding a downstairs or whatever and someone walks mm -hmm. by with their dog and, oh my gosh how did you do that I'd yeah. never be able to do that and it's like yeah you can you can oh, yes. <laughs> it's do you want to do Exactly, yeah. yeah. Put the time and the resources into teaching your dog that, or would you rather just put a leash on your dog would and you, enjoy your park trip? Mm -hmm. Yeah, or would you rather just be okay with them pulling a little bit and zigzagging a little bit, and that's fine, right? Because clearly that that's that's okay for them. Yeah, know? yeah. They no, would probably want it, but it's the work that you put in. Mm -hmm. The journey could look a lot different for every single dog. Yeah, you know, to get yeah. to a certain place it could take longer it could be shorter it could be different techniques it could be different mm -hmm. methods like i have a dog sparky that i'm working with right now who's 12 so an old, an old man mm -hmm. um mm -hmm. loves sparky and he um his whole life mm -hmm. he's done whatever the fuck he wanted you know and just yelling yelling at everything barking yeah. at everything um very reactive on leash severe separation anxiety like this dog's anxiety is like through the roof and we they have a house now like a lake house that they go to and it's like a condo and the issue is now that when they leave he's just barking nonstop, and they're like our neighbors cannot hate us like <laughs> this, this cannot happen yeah. um so you know we've been working with him quite a bit and it's been a lot of he's been a dog that I, I've never, I don't feel like stumped by him by any means, but he's really made me dig deep in my arsenal of like weird things to do to help him work through some stuff and a lot of like problem solving, a lot of troubleshooting things to see what works well for him because he's just a very unique guy. And I think, I, I sometimes I think to myself, not that I'm like this incredible person or anything, but sometimes I think about how like, most, I would say, average trainers probably wouldn't do that much troubleshooting with dogs. Like, I, I think about, because, like, him, he, like, he screams all the time. You've heard him in the lobby. He's very vocal. He's whining, whining, whining. And the last couple sessions have really just been trying different techniques and different ways of doing exercises to figure out what clicks in his head to help him, like, organically be able to calm down a little bit. And for me, I just find that stuff very fascinating. Yeah. Like that's like very interesting to me to like get into the psyche of the dog <laughs> and figure out what's gonna work. That's like my favorite um, part. Yeah, like what what about like and what we finally landed on for him? Because some dogs being stationary helps them calm down. Mm -hmm. Some dogs it makes it worse. Yeah. Truly, I feel like mm -hmm. um, for him that was kind of the case. Like last session we did just a bed stay the whole time and no progress. He was just whining, whining, whining the whole time. So this week I was like, okay, let's try like a ton of movement in the beginning of the session to see if that wears him out a little bit, helps him process the anxiety through movement, structured movement, you know, calm, sit, calm, you know, just very quick moving, one to the yeah. next to the next. Um, and then we'll do a longer bed stay. It was like a little bit better, but not great. And so then I thought back to like my, my horse training days and we used to do, so when horses are buddy sour, it's basically separation anxiety for horses where they want to be with other horses all the time. 
And when you take them away from horses, they rear, buck, pull, drag just to get back. And I had a, dog, a horse that was like this, the one that bucked me off and gave me my head injury. <laughs> but the way that you fix that or a technique that you can do to fix that is you work them super hard while they're with other horses to the extent that they hate being around other horses. <laughs> like yeah. they're like, I don't even want to be here anymore. So it's like you work the shit out of them around the horses and then when you take them away, they get treats and apples and all this good stuff. They get brushed and groomed and it's great. And so in their head, it's like this weird reverse psychology yeah. <laughs> where they're like, every time I'm in the pasture with horses, I'm getting lunged and I'm having to work really hard. And then when I'm away, it's nice. Mm -hmm. And so I like tried a concept of that with Sparky today where I just made him work like super, super hard. And then when he went to the bed, he was like, oh, thank God. Yeah. Mm -hmm. I just want to stay on the bed. And then I take him off before he could settle. And I could see in his face, he's like, just put me on the bed. <laughs> and then as soon as he'd go back to the bed, he'd be like, oh, this is amazing. Yeah. And we just do longer and longer. And we got to where being on the bed was like amazing. Yeah. He's like, oh, this is so nice. I need to take a break. And the vocalization like drastically decreased. And it was like the most success that we had seen so far. Um, but that very, I very easily could have said to them, that's just a limitation for him. He's always going to be loud. Mm -hmm. And I maybe it would have necessarily not been wrong in saying that, yeah. right. but also like, why not figure it out? Why yeah, not? Like, you know, time to troubleshoot. And yeah. Like, let's like try to figure that stuff out rather than immediately being like, oh, he's 12. He's been doing this his whole life. There's no way, you know, there's no way that it's going to change. doesn't really matter if it changes. But like, I just, I feel like um, troubleshooting like that and trying to figure out stuff, one, is super fascinating. Um, but two, like, it really benefits the dog, it benefits the owners, because they, they look at it and they're like, wow, like, you really care. <laughs> like, you're really yeah. trying to, like, figure this stuff out. Well, that's pretty interesting. Like, as I am coming into my own with one-on-one -on -one sessions, like, mm -hmm. creativity um, I've needed a little bit of support and help from David coming into situations because he can see it in a different way than I can. Mm -hmm. yeah. And having the support of him being able to be like, this, this, or this. And I'm like, oh. So all of these are learning opportunities to have my creative box like you do to yeah. look into. Yeah. And I'm finding myself getting better at it and troubleshooting. Mm -hmm. So like, with Sparky, like, it's just probably such a relief that they're starting to see a little bit of progress with them. Oh, yeah, absolutely. Yeah, he's one that was quite the guy. Yeah, and I, I'd rather, like, keep working on it than, like, having people be like, well, this is it. Yeah. Well, that's it. Yeah, exactly. And they're like, yeah, yes. that's it. <laughs> and they're like, but I don't want it. Yeah, yeah. Put him on Trazodome. Yeah. No, so that was, that was something that happened today that was, like, I mean, that's a good example of, like, could have been a limitation. Mm -hmm. yep. And, you know, they probably would have accepted that. Yeah. And been like, okay, he's just loud. Yeah. <laughs> but, but again, but even in those situations where it's just like, you do kind of hit those limitations of like, okay, well, yep, this is, this is that wall. This is Lumos' wall, whatever. As long as you've tried A, B, C, D, you know, whatever, mm -hmm. the wall then it's yeah. like, okay. Then we've tried all our options. This, yeah. is, this is either what's worked best, and then you can even 
out of A through Z, what route was the best? Exactly. You know, what, what, what did you figure out gave you at least some more of that upper step than the other ones? And then it's like, okay, well, let's get rid of the other ones. Let's focus on that. Let's see what that is. Mm-hmm. And then just and go from there, you know? it's But it's, again, it's the consistency and it's not just giving up and, and yeah. just allowing it to be because it's even something where it's like, okay, the most, he, he just doesn't like, strangers and stuff like that it's like that's fine you don't you don't have to keep pushing it it's just something where it's like but also like don't give up on it you know it doesn't mean don't take him to any more parks don't ever take him outside don't ever do you know yeah it's it's not to completely isolate right right. even it's not like he's he's unable like i don't isolate him from getting to know new people i just take a different approach with it i found something that works better and what works the best for him is telling people to completely ignore him to the point where he gets to where he's like, no, you're tripping. <laughs> you know what I mean? And then it's like, he, again, it's almost like a weird reverse psychology thing where then he wants you to pay attention because you won't. Yep. And then you build this value. Yeah. And when you finally do, he's like, oh, this is amazing. That's, that was my approach with Lumos. Like, and I still remember to this day, I completely ignored him. Yeah. When you first started bringing him around. And then one day he brought me that little green stick and he dropped it <laughs> and he was like, Throw it. <laughs> and I was like, I'm in. Yeah, yeah. And then wait, he kisses me sometimes. I'm still not going to get in his face and kiss <laughs> yeah. on him. But, yeah. you know, I respect him as a dog and I respect his boundaries. Mm-hmm. And he respects that I don't try to push those. So mm-hmm. he feels safe with me. Exactly. Yeah. Yeah. So, I don't know. How would we sum this up, guys? That I think it's normal for every dog to have certain quirks mm-hmm. and limitations in certain areas. And that... As long as you're like following, work with a trainer who has experience mm-hmm. in whatever it is you're trying to accomplish, and a good knowledge base, um, gives you good support. Follow your training plan, take all the processes and procedures very seriously, and let the guy, the dog kind of guide you through the rest, mm-hmm. you know, of like what they're gonna be capable of. Because only we can only go by their the signs they're giving us, mm-hmm. you know, and where we think that that line will be for them. Yeah. Sometimes that takes recalibrating expectations and mm-hmm. looking at your dog in a different way and trying new things. But mm-hmm. again, working with a trainer to get to the bottom of what is working versus what's not, yeah. it can be really helpful to the longevity of your dog and providing a really joyous life for them. And don't, and, and don't limit yourself to certain techniques and certain styles of training. Yeah. It would, to me, like limiting the amount, the type of training that you would do with your dog, obviously like uh, humane training, would be like me going to the doctor with an ailment and being like, these are the only treatments I'll accept. Mm-hmm. And they're not gonna work. Not gonna <laughs> yeah. yeah, and it's like, no, that's the doctor. Like they know what they're supposed to, they know the treatments, they know the medications, they know what, what is going to be successful in like healing this ailment or helping it. And why would I limit them in what they're able to do and the knowledge they're able to give me just because I think mm-hmm. that this is right or this is wrong. Yeah. Like, yes, use your judgment on when you're working with trainers, like trust your gut. If something doesn't feel right or doesn't look right, mm-hmm. you're probably right about that. But, you know, when it comes to training styles, like, don't limit yourself. It's like, well, my dog didn't take any treats to fix the reactivity, so I guess we're done, you know? <laughs> There's other things available to that. My biggest thing is, yeah, don't, don't doubt yourself and don't doubt your dog. Mm-hmm. You know? And then, 
what I've said almost every podcast to is ask questions. Yes. <laughs> ask multiple questions, ask multiple sources, right? Mm-hmm. There's always going to be help out there, and you just have to kind of pick and choose where you want to go from there. Yes. So that would be also my, my biggest advice. Mm-hmm. If you feel like you haven't found a good fit for you and your dog training-wise, like, it exists. Yeah. Don't give up. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Keep looking for it and find it because they're out there. I agree. Well, cool. Good chat today, guys. That was good. This is a good one. Thanks for joining us. Yeah. Hope it helps. Yeah. Bye, guys. See you next time.